Welcome to episode 33 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you heard? On the Schmooze is a C-Suite Radio headliner. C-Suite Radio is a hub for business podcasts, and you should check it out at c-suiteradio.com to discover other business podcasts. It's part of the C-Suite network, and they also have C-Suite TV, where you can watch in-depth interviews with business content for leaders and entrepreneurs. The good news, it's all on demand. Check it out at c-suitetv.com and c-suiteradio.com. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest shows entrepreneurs and small business owners how to bring in more income and clients by building real human relationships with influencers, VIPs, and people who matter. He's had a very varied work history that includes working in the heart of three major industries. He was a White House writer during the Bill Clinton administration and speechwriter to the governor of California. He's also worked in Hollywood and in the heart of Silicon Valley. Currently, he owns his own boutique law firm in the San Francisco Bay Area, catering to small business owners and entrepreneurs. He's the creator of Smart Business Revolution and host of the Smart Business Revolution podcast. He's also the co-founder of Rise 25 Inner Circle, an annual accountability and group coaching program for professional service entrepreneurs who want to diversify their revenues and scale up. Please join me in welcoming John Corcoran. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me. John, thank you so much for joining me from your office in San Francisco. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, we were just talking about this offline, and I, I don't. I think that um, I don't know that you ever get to a point where you feel, at least for me personally, I, I don't know that I ever felt like I got to a point where I felt like I could hold myself up above other people as a leader. And you kind of, I think you kind of more gradually grow into it as you get more experience in your career, uh, get better connections, and. Most importantly, I think if you focus on delivering value to other people, then that's going to lead to um, people respecting you enough that you have the credibility as a leader. You know, the leaders that don't have credibility, I've worked for both. I've worked for great leaders and I've worked for horrible leaders. I've had all kinds of work history, as you mentioned at the beginning there, and um, not all was, was rosy. Um, the ones I think that deserve credibility lead by example and they treat other people with respect. They treat other people the way that they want to be treated. Um, and they also do, you know, have a larger vision. Uh, what, you know, it, it, doesn't need, it doesn't need to be that they're like Elon Musk uh, leading people to go to Mars or anything. It doesn't mean that kind, of, that kind of huge vision. They have some kind of vision for what their business is going to be or what their organization is going to do or how they're going to treat people. And they draw a line in the stand and they say, this is how it's going to be. This is how we're going to organize things. And uh, I think those are the types of leaders that deserve respect. So, I mean, to answer your question, I, I, that I think is just what I try and model in terms of my behavior and, and the way that I run my business. And I think that it's what, what works for other people when they deserve credibility as a, as a leader. John, was there a time in your life when you first started to, to feel like you were learning some of these leadership skills? Is there any evidence early on that, that you were willing to step up into these leadership roles? I mean, sure. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, working early in my career at 23 years old as a writer in the President Clinton, Bill Clinton's um, White House um, was, uh, you know, in many ways he was a mentor to me, even though I wasn't working in direct contact with him on a regular basis. I saw him around, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of people that work at the White House. Um, and but I think that, uh, you know, one, one thing that really struck me, uh, uh, whether you agree with his politics or not, one thing that struck me is I saw him behind closed doors plenty of times, and he treated everyone with respect. And the reason he was so late, he had notorious for being late, was because he wanted to give everyone a piece of his time. Still does. Still does this. 
Uh, and so he would, you know, um, constantly be giving people's time. And, and I saw this over and over again where he, you know, people would meet him for the first time and they're just blown away. He has an ability, an amazing uncanny ability to make it seem like there's no one else in the room when he's talking to someone and makes such a huge impression on people. And, and I remember reading this in a biography about him. Someone said, I forget who it was, but said that they'd been on the campaign trail with him, seen him work thousands of rope lines, meet th tens of thousands of people, talk to all kinds of people, and you get all kinds of different types of personalities, people that come out of the woodwork that come to these things. Never once did he turn around and say to someone else, um, wow, what a loon that person was. Or, did you see that crazy lady on the rope line? Never. And I never saw him do that. He treated everyone with tremendous respect. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that he rose from such humble origin to become president of the of the free world. Um, and so that for me was incredibly powerful for me. I also had a um, kind of a mentor, a boss when I worked in the governor's office who um, he, when he led, he, he had a sense of humor about everything. And he had, a, you know, he, he, he was a lawyer himself. And in spite of that, he was constantly joking about things, talking about reality TV, talking about sports. And I was very young at that point in time. And I took myself kind of seriously, I think. And it gave me enough of the confidence to realize that you, it's a sign of supreme, of, of tremendous confidence when you're willing to not take yourself too seriously and you're willing to show weakness and a little bit of vulnerability and, and not be so formal about everything and, and be a little bit informal. Uh, I think people respect you better and they get to know you better as a human. That's a really important lesson. They get to know you better as a human. They become more bonded to you. If you're serious, if you're, you don't show that personal side of you, people are much less likely to build a personal connection with you. And they're much less likely to be bonded to you than if some other person comes along, some other opportunity comes along, some other business comes along that presents a better opportunity for them, they'll drop you immediately like a hot potato because they don't have a connection to you. So really that personal touch goes a long way. So I, I've, I love hearing a little bit more about the beginning of your career, but even before that, if we dial this back a little bit further, before you were 23 and got to work in the White House, were you the type of person who, you know, no one really knew in high school? Or were you the person who ran for, for office? Were you the person who you know, had your own, you know, business selling candy, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, where are the origins that you're very entrepreneurial? I mean, like, you're teaching people how to use these skills, how to add value. What are the origins of some of those assets that you're now sort of spreading to the world? Yeah, I wasn't like Gary Vaynerchuk, like, starting a lemonade stand and then having 100 lemonade stands around his neighborhood or anything like that. Um, I was... <laughs> So what, what kind of shaped me was when I was growing up, my father got laid off three separate times when I was growing up. And each time he, we had to get a new job, basically 3,000 miles away, we co moved coast to coast each time, away from family and friends. It was painful. Sometimes it was in the middle of the year. One time was right before high school and showing up to a new high school without you know, knowing anyone. Um, and, and that was really hard. I think now that I look back on it and shape who I am today, I'm more comfortable at coming into a room full of people that I don't know. But it was very hard at the time. It also sh showed me really the importance of building um, key relationships and, um, and networks so that you don't fall prey to the vulnerability of losing your job and not able to find some other opportunity where you have to move all the way across the country. Um, so that really shaped who I am. In high school, I was I was both editor of my high school newspaper and on the football team. I wasn't good on the football team, but so I was basically a, a dork and a jock at the same time. So I, I think I kind of occupied both ends of the spectrum. And then I somehow managed to go to law school and survive law school, graduate, pass the bar, all that kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, I'm actually more of an extrovert. I like socializing with people and you have to be a bit of an introvert if you're going to spend three years with books. Um, so, you know, I kind of exist at both ends of the spectrum. So I understand and relate to people who are introverted and hate networking events and don't like that kind of stuff. I feel like I can speak well to them and give them advice and strategies that can work for them. And at the same time, I can speak with people who are more extroverted, the other end of the spectrum, give them advice and people in between. And I, yeah, I really enjoy that now. So that, that background is what shaped 
who I am today. You know, I've talked to Dory Clark about this, about how she can look back at her own very varied work history and start to put together a theme. But as it's happening, it seems very disparate. And it sounds like you sort of followed lots of different possible paths. And the theme looking back is that you're really good at building relationships. At what point did you realize that you could package that? Because that's one of the things you're known for is not just that you're good at it, but you're good at, at helping other people get better at it. So when did it dawn on you, this is a thing, and this is a thing that I could actually share? Well, it's funny. I think that we oftentimes are not drawn to the thing that we're best at. You see this over and over again with people where they tend to be drawn to something that they're challenged by as a business, as a vocation, not what they're best at. You see that so frequently. You know, It's like, you're really good at this. Why don't you do this? And they don't. They're doing something else because they see it as a challenge. You know, and people tend to be drawn to, to teaching things that, that they're not great at. You see this over and over again. The person who teaches charm is actually not that charming, with the exception of my buddy Jordan Harbinger, Art of Charm. He's actually quite charming. But, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times that happens. A lot of times that happens. You know, the people who, who <laughs> you know, teach, uh, you know, some kind of like uh, zen, being zen or way about the world or being peaceful – they struggle with their temper and that's why they're drawn to, to do that kind of work. And so for me, I never really got into, well, I, you know, I, I was a lawyer and I wanted to have a bigger impact. I wanted to scale up. I wanted to not be totally dependent on the billable hour as lawyers are. I realized the business model practicing law was really crappy. It's a piece of crap. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult. It's not that different from the you paying the next door neighbor's kid ten bucks to mow your lawn. From a business model perspective, it's really there's a limit on the amount you can charge, or you, you know people are willing to pay, and there's a limit on the number of hours per week that you can work. There's a limit on the number of lawns you can mow in in the course of a week. And so I realized that was a, a screwed up model. So I I strove to to get away from that and create a new model. And um, I started with developing a blog, and it was about entrepreneurship, and I realized it was too broad. And then that's when other people, notably Antonio Santino of Real, Real Men Real Style, I was in a mastermind group with him at the time, he said, John, you're really good at building relationships with people, and you've done it throughout your career. How do you do that? I look back at my career, and as you said, it makes sense in retrospect. I realized, you know, I've done this in every different industry. I've done it in Washington, D.C. I've done it in, with the governor's office in Sacramento, working for the governor of California. I've done it in the entertainment industry, working as an early employee of DreamWorks. I've done it in Silicon Valley, working across the street from eBay. I've done it as a lawyer, starting my own practice in the Bay Area and having a lot of entrepreneurs as clients. And now I've done it in the online world, building my reputation as a, a thought leader in the online world. And so I just realized it was basically replicable skills. And once I started to focus in on that, narrow in on that one particular niche, that's when things started to really take off for me. So there's that, because uh, I'm in a similar space now. Um, and I, I'm so grateful to almost be in this conversation with you because you're like right ahead of where I need to be. Um, so there's, but there's like, you know, I do trainings and that's a great mm -hmm. way to share information. Um, some people do webinars and some people write books and do eBooks and you're kind of doing a wide array plus a podcast, you know, how did you, <laughs> you don't start with everything. Um, how did, much. how did you decide, you know, what was the best way to share these skills and, and what do you, what do you find most rewarding about doing that kind of work? Well, uh, I think you just kind of got to try different things and then find what works for you and find what works for your personality. I tried a lot of different things and most of them didn't work. So, you know, I tried, uh, different things. I tried SEO. I tried writing my, for my blog every day. I tried doing videos, you know, YouTube, Instagram, every different type of thing. And for me, actually, I eventually found webinars was the thing that worked the best for me. I started, so I originally guest posting was the best thing for building my audience. And I did a lot of that during 2014. I grew my email list from a thousand to 5,800 email subscribers and really growing your email list is the name of the game when you want to become a thought leader, when you want to accumulate a tribe or community of people who are interested in what you have to do. And um, so I thought six-fold increase, that's great. I'll continue doing that. Beginning in 2015, I started doing webinars. And when I started doing webinars during the first 90 days, the first quarter of 2015, I actually doubled my email list from six to 12,000. So I said, well, forget guest posting. And that's the thing. It's like you find something that works and it works until it doesn't anymore or until you find something else that works better. And so then I doubled down 
on webinars as a strategy. And during 2015, I actually did 83 live webinars during the course of the year, added about 21,000 email subscribers. And pretty soon I had a separate business that was actually earning more than I was as practicing lawyer. And so it was, it was just really finding something that works for you and then working on that. And what you see put out to the world, you might see podcasts, you might see blog, you might see these different things that I do. But in terms of what I focus on, on day to day, a lot of effort is focused on the webinar strategy because that's been a lot of effort to, to grow my audience. And that has, that has led as a trickle down effect to everything, to helping every other thing as well or leading to every other opportunity that's come along. So now that you're here and you, you can look back and see all the, all the effort, what's, what's been the most rewarding about, about doing this new role that you have, working with entrepreneurs and teaching relationship building? What's, what's been like feeding that for you? Not just the, the, the numbers of yeah. email lists and the fact that you're getting paid, which is awesome, but you know, what, where are you getting out of that? What's rewarding? You know, it's just, it's totally rewarding to just get an email from someone who, whose life you touched, you know, even if they didn't buy a product from me or training or anything like that. Um, but they just, you know, some, something I put out there, a blog post, an ebook or a podcast episode or something like that touched them in some way, inspired them. I get, you know, emails from people like you inspired me to send an email to my favorite author. I sent an email, he responded and now I'm doing an interview with him next week. And then he's coming to town three weeks after that, and we're getting coffee. And that's so amazing. It's just, it's incredible to have that, you get an email like that, and you just know that it's going to lead to tremendous opportunities for that person. So just simply the, the satisfaction of that, you know, also the satisfaction of having more control over my business, not being a slave to it. You know, it used to be when I was practicing law, it caused a lot of angst, and I was very nervous. You know, I had stuff I had to do that, made me angry and was not um, appropriate for my personality. A lot of litigation tends to be very acrimonious and confrontational, and I didn't really enjoy that at all. So I've been able to get away from that. Um, I have more control over my schedule. Um, I actually moved my office this summer to my town. My office is now two miles away from my house, and I ride my bike to work. My son started kindergarten this year, and I decided a couple years ago I wanted to move my office so that I could ride bikes with him to work to drop him off at kindergarten. And that's what I do, and then I continue on another couple minutes to my office, park my bike, and I go inside. And that kind of quality of life is just tremendous. You can't quite put your finger on it. You know, this Friday – uh, for my birthday, I'm just taking the day off with my wife, and we're going to go up to wine country, which is about an hour north of where we live here in, outside of San Francisco. And so all those things are, you know, incredibly gratifying. And you don't take time, really, I don't take time to think about them that much because you're thinking about the next big thing that you, next, next big thing you want to achieve. But, you know, uh, you know, and you mentioned I started uh, Rise 25 Inner Circle with my business partner, Jeremy Weiss, who's a chiropractor. He did the same thing as me in living in Chicago, diversified his revenue stream so that he has more control. You know, he's got multiple sources of income coming in, and he and I run these groups. And it's incredibly gratifying to work with other professional service entrepreneurs who come from similar backgrounds as us who want to scale up, want to have a bigger impact, and and do it in an amazing uh, luxury uh, retreat in a four-star resort. And that's, you know, I feel like I'm subsidizing my own vacation and I get to hang out with cool nice. entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so that's incredible. But yeah. The other thing is too, like people that you admire from afar, suddenly, you know, you get to know them. I mean, I can mention a bunch of them, Noah Kagan, Michael Port, Chris Brogan, you know, people that I really admired from afar for a long time. And then suddenly getting to know them and actually doing partnership you know, working together with them on different projects or like I was just in San Diego speaking in a, in a lot of people that I admired were also speaking. At I the saw same you event. hosted that dinner. I, I read the email, but going to dinner with you guys and yeah, boy, did yeah. I wish I was in town because that was quite the guest list. Right, right. So yeah, I, right, exactly. You know, I've, I've gotten to build relationships with some yeah. of these thought leaders, particularly in the online space. We had a dinner where we had Noah Kagan, Pat Flynn, uh, Jordan Harbinger from The Art of, of, of Charm, um, Graham Baldwin from Speaker Lab Podcast, my buddy Jeff Rose from Good Financial Sense, Natalie Sisson, Suitcase Entrepreneur, just like some really amazing entrepreneurs 
who I admired from afar for a long time. And all of a sudden I'm the person bringing them together in one meal. And so that's incredibly gratifying. And, but who cares about me, right? What I care about is that someone listening to this right now thinks I can do that too, especially even if it's in your local community, even if you don't care about, you know, getting a dinner with Jordan Harbinger and Pat Flynn, who cares about those guys? You care about, you know, the local sales rep or the local CEO or the local business owner or something like that. Go and do it yourself. You can put these things together. So I really get gratified about like teaching people like that in order to employ these skills and, and showing them how I do it so that they can do it as well. So we've talked about what was most rewarding. I, what's been challenging and, and how have you overcome those kinds of challenges? Uh, challenging is, is trying to grow, grow it at this, at the pace that is appropriate. You know, I mean, you have big ideas and you can't always achieve all of them at the pace that you want to. I mean, I wanted it to grow a lot faster and you know it, it hasn't grown as fast as I wanted to, and you got to balance things like you, it's very difficult to grow and at the same time nurture at the same time as you're building a community. So you can need to grow and nurture. Those are two very different things. A lot of times people mix those those up. You know, like I was talking to a client recently who she was sending a, a brand new email that she drafted from scratch for her offline service based business. Uh, every one of one a week, one e email a week. And I was asking her about it and she drafts this email from scratch. It's a lot of work to do that on a weekly basis and people get dismayed and stuff. And, uh, she had 200 people on the email list, 200 people. I'm like, you know, you need to really grow that. So what you could do is just, instead of drafting that new email every, every time, what you do is you take it and you put it into a drip sequence called autoresponders. And based on when the person signs up, they get a, a drip sequence of, of, informational interviews that go out over could be, you know, eight, nine, 10 months. And the idea is that it nurtures a relationship with them while you're focusing on growing your list, growing your tribe, growing your audience, growing people that are interested in the services that or products that you have to offer. So, you know, being able to, you know, show someone how to do that is incredibly gratifying. Well, yeah, I mean, anyone who's trying to make that transition from a, a nine to five or a nine to seven job, as it might be, um, and then finding the time after work and on weekends to both be with their family and start working on a business. I mean, that's, it takes a lot. And I think seeing people who've done it, it's inspiring. And try to read and learn and listen to everything you can to avoid all the common pitfalls because there are many, <laughs> there are many challenges uh, in that process. Yeah, yeah and, but you know, also you can't be just an information junkie. You have to be an implementation junkie. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times people just, you know, consume a lot of podcasts or read a lot of blog posts or something, but they don't actually try it for themselves. You really need to try it for yourselves or for yourself. Um, another thing actually can be a challenge as, as you're growing is just you'll get constant criticism. You know, people will wonder why you're doing this. Believe me, I'm a lawyer who started a blog and a podcast. Like, the heck are you doing? You know, people thought I was crazy. Why would you spend time when you can charge hundreds of dollars per hour? Why would you spend time? fiddling around drafting blog posts, you know, when you've got this six figure education that you paid for, you know, and yet I finally passed the corner with that, but it took a long time, you know, it took a long time. And, and still a lot of my family members think I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> I was talking recently with a neighbor who said to me, Oh, and my wife's name is Nicole. Oh, Nicole told me that, um, you're not really practicing law anymore. She said, you've got a blog. That's how she said it. And uh, it was, you could just hear in her voice, it was like, oh, that's so cute. You're going to move in with your parents now, you know? Um, so you have to deal with kind of those mental barriers, you know? Or, I mean, I sent out an email yesterday that definitely pushed the envelope. Um, and it was about Donald Trump. We're recording this in October right now, 2016, in the heat of the very vitriolic, vitriolic, uh, bitter fought uh, presidential campaign. And um, the night after the second debate, I sent an email that uh, was a little bit critical of Donald Trump. Now, come on, people. I mean, I worked in the Clinton White House. What do you expect? I don't really talk about politics much, but I, I connected it to a webinar that I was doing. And it had some critical and funny, I thought, you know, some jokes about, because I like using humor in my emails, jokes about Donald Trump. Well, I had an avalanche of um, you know, very polite emails from Trump supporters. No, they were not polite. They were very vitriolic, angry, <laughs> uh, 
very critical uh, emails from people. And um, a couple of years ago, it would have like really knocked me sideways, just mentally. It consumed and caused a lot of anguish. Um, now, I'm still a people pleaser. That's fundamentally who I am. But it doesn't bother me as much as it would. And those kind of mental blocks are huge. We don't even realize how much they get in the way. They really do. They slow us down. They stop us for months, years on end. And I know this, like teaching other people to use webinars. For me, webinars are building relationships on steroids, okay, because you're building relationships with hundreds or thousands of people at a time. It's way more effective than going door to going to, from chamber of commerce meeting to networking event to cocktail party over and over again, which a lot of people don't enjoy anyways. So you can like, build relationships at scale. And so I encourage a lot of people to do that. A lot of people that I talk to are interested in doing it. They don't do it. They don't do it. They, you know, it's like they wanted to do it for a long time. What's stopping them? What's slowing them down? And it's a lot of these different mental blocks that are in people's heads. So overcoming those things is actually a big block for, th- for a big challenge that I think you need to be prepared for. So a struggle for anyone who's striving for success, of course, is that fear of being wrong. And your example with your Trump email is like those voices in your head. You're always, you know, what is mistakes and and what would failing be? So what is something you're not good at and how how do you deal with that? Um, Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, Another way of looking at it is sometimes you reach a point where the thing that you're best at actually becomes the biggest barrier. So uh, I want to address both of those things. So first, the thing that you're best at or that you enjoy doing the most sometimes can be the biggest bottleneck in your business. So for example, with me, it's writing. I've always been a writer. I've always enjoyed writing. And so oftentimes that becomes a bottleneck because that's the last thing you want to delegate because you want to focus on that the most. So then it becomes a bottleneck, which is kind of an interesting it's an interesting problem, but it's just something you should be aware of. But other than that, things that I'm not good at, uh, <laughs> you name it. I mean, um, I'm not great at, uh, you know, rudimentary tasks that need to be done on a regular basis. Um, and, and in a systematized way, like with my law firm, getting out bills was always a problem. You're supposed to get out bills every month. It's like doing the same thing, same series of tasks. It's very... You know, it's, it feels like kind of like assembly line work eventually, and I just hated doing it. Um, it to, even to the point where I just like would put off doing it, even though you're going to get paid, right? If right. you send out <laughs> bills, and um, so stuff like that really kind of gets in the way. And so for me, like creating new things, like doing a podcast interview, interviewing someone, creating a new course, creating a new webinar, I feel like really alive and excited when I'm doing those sorts of things. When I'm doing something that's kind of mundane, I've done it a lot of times before and I have to do it over again. That is really, really boring to me. I always thought like being a bookkeeper would be one of the most difficult things, jobs I could never do because of the fundamental nature of needing to do something over and over again and tracking small, like to me, kind of mundane things. No offense to the bookkeepers out there. It just doesn't fit with my personality. So the, so the thing is, when you're growing your business, you just need to recognize those things and need to bring in people that are complementary so that you can, because you will never grow your business until you let go of those things and you have other people do them. So that's what you did. You started to add people to take on these different, more yep. routine tasks so that you don't, you, you like the creative end of things and not the... Yeah, and you recognize the things that you can't outsource and the things that are most important for you. So, you know... I did 83 live webinars in a 12-month period. The only way you could possibly do that is by outsourcing a lot of that. Now, what of that couldn't be outsourced? What couldn't be delegated? The biggest parts were doing the actual webinar itself. That can't be outsourced or delegated. And also the building of the relationship in order to have the webinar as an opportunity. And I've done webinars for everything from like Tony Robbins company to a division of salesforce.com to Aweber contactually, um, you know, different software companies, you name it, uh, to Chris Brogan, Michael Ports, some, you know, some big names out there. Um, and the, the actual building of the relationship, which is kind of a squishy, you know, matter, uh, that can't be delegated. Um, eventually if you're, you know, of a huge tribe, huge audience, then yeah, some of that can be done 
uh, and I and I do have a partnership director who helps me with some of that work. But a lot of it needs to be conversations that I have, or it needs to be going out to a live event and hanging out with someone face to face that you build that personal connection, just like we talked about earlier in the interview. And so those two things have been the most important thing for my business over the last year. One is doing the webinar, and the other one is uh, actually building the relationship with partners who I do webinars with. And so you need to recognize what those things are and then delegate all the rest, systematize and delegate all the rest. So you need to first document how you do the things that you do, how you want them done, and then take them off your plate and have someone else do them. And trust. And, <laughs> and trust. And trust. Do. Yeah. And trust, right. And be okay with the fact that it's not going to be 100% the way that you would do it yourself. But that's the only way that you're going to grow is if you're okay with doing that. And by its nature, usually, usually the time that you add people to do this stuff is when you're at your busiest, you're like exploding, and you don't even know how you could possibly take the time to train someone new to come on because you're so busy, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not a good thing. You know, you, that is impeding your growth. So you need to almost hire people before you're ready. You know, yeah. when you're when you're you're kind of in an inflection point, you know, um, I I was one of those people who spent six months consuming tons of podcasts and in particular, smart passive income with Pat Flynn uh, learned so much. And one of the things I learned was actually there's just in time learning and there's just in case learning to your point earlier. Yeah. I so I did six right. months of just in case learning and then had to be like, OK, I'm going to step back. But I I learned a lot from listening that I wouldn't have gotten if I would just search for something because I learned to document. So even though I'm not at a point where I'm hiring people to help with my podcast, I have a very specific checklist, which could keep getting more and more detailed, but it's helping me because then I just can kind of not do it from memory, but just like open it up and be like, okay, right. I have to do all these things. And yeah. maybe eventually I can then pass it off. So I think document way before you think you need to. And I tell this to people who are working in a corporate environment or in a nonprofit I mean, you want to document as if you're not going to be there and you have to pass it off to someone. Because if you are there a year later, you're going to benefit <laughs> from having yeah. documented what you did previously. And it'll only be get easier. I think too often we are sort of relying on what's in our head. And at some point we can't balance everything and little things get dropped, big things get dropped. But I want Absolutely. to actually so important. think a little bit about, you know, just to maybe take a little bit of a turn here. As, as you get more successful at your job, there is, there is the time and dedication you're putting into that, which both is the work that you do at work, but it also impacts life outside of work because I think these days the line is blurry. With that in mind, what does self-care look like for you? Um, well, I mean, like this Friday going and taking the day off and going uh, up to wine country with my wife for my birthday is, you know, that's that's going to be awesome. We have three kids. So just getting some time away without them is, you know, amazing. Um, we, you know, when we can get a vacation or get away for a weekend, which we haven't since the baby was born, we have a six month old right now. Um, but we did earlier in the year before the baby was born. That's, that's tremendous as well. Um, you know, uh, even, I mean, even for me, I mean, I enjoy going away to events, you know, having my own events now, I do those and I get energy out of doing that stuff. If I didn't, then it wouldn't be a good business for me to have. Um, and, um, going to e even conferences or masterminds or small group meetups or activities like that, I get a lot of energy out of those sorts of things as well. Is, um, is there a habit that you're been trying to sort of adopt into your life? Actually, yeah, right now. Um, so I believe that your long-term goals, what you accomplish on an annual basis is what you focus on on a daily basis. So you need to really think about what are your larger long-term goals and then distill them down into individual tasks that you focus on and have a system for track tracking that. And um, I've been pretty much paper-based for a while, kind of have some digital stuff that I do as well. But I'm trying to transition a little bit more towards the digital using tools like Asana as a as a kind of a, um, a productivity tool. Um, and I actually created my own planners, which is which was really fun because, um, you know, there I have these papers, these 
eight and a half by 11 papers. And they're based on some other planners out there, including like, um, I don't know if you know the five minute journal, which is a great thing. I was doing that. And then this guy named Charlie Gilkey, Productive Flourishing is his website, that he's got some planners, which I've been using for a number of years now, weekly and daily planners, but neither of them really worked for me. So I just created my own. I actually encourage people to do that based on your own set of priorities. So like, for example, for me, introductions is a, is a big priority. I do a lot of introduction, introduce people to a lot of the other people. So I created a, a part of the eight and a half by 11, uh, you know, daily planner with introductions and I'm a big advocate. I have something on my website called your conversations list, creating your conversations list, which is a list of 50 people you uh, would like to build or nurture a relationship with or establish a relationship with. I created a section in there where you write in the memory of your top 50 conversations list you want to reach out to on that particular day, nice. just as a reminder of doing that. Um, and so like, and then it's also got, you know, what I'm grateful for at the top of the day and all this kind of stuff. So I, I like that. I liked creating this because it forces me to really focus on the things, focus my time on the things that are most important for my business. And I think everyone could do something like that. That sounds amazing. And I think you're right. <laughs> Too many times I think people get to the end of the day and wonder whether they like, feel like they accomplished what they wanted to or needed to for their business, for their job, because time, time just sort of passes. And yeah. there's a lot of distractions and we're not good at multitasking and we're always being pulled in six directions. And meetings are not usually good uses of our time if they're not structured right. So if you have that kind of practice of setting your day the day before, so you know what you want to get out of it, set those intentions. But I like the idea of also taking sort of ideas from other sources and then, but then creating your own if you can't find one that fits because then it really speaks to what you need in the day. And even figuring out what it is you need could in itself be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. You know, this this next question, I've asked a lot of people, but I, I'm really looking forward to your answer because it's a my question's about how your professional network has grown over the last five or so years and, and what are the ways that you nurture those relationships? Sure, so uh, I, I, I am a big believer in being proactive about deciding what relationships you want to build and deciding, okay, that really you have to look at the bigger goal first. Like what is the larger goal for my business? Am I doing right now what I want to do? Or if I'm working for a company, how do I want to change that? What direction do I want to go in? What do I want that business to look like? And then you back it out from there and you create a list of, so your conversations list is a list of the 50 people who you want to build or nurture a relationship with. It could be people, it could be authors that you admire, it could be speakers that you admire, people that you don't know at all, or it could be someone in your local community who's a friend or a friend of a friend or a business owner or something like that, who are aligned with what you want to do. So they're not in a completely different industry. They're aligned with what you want to do, but they, you know, are people who you could see tremendous benefit to knowing. Like if you look at your business, what, it, what you want it to look like three to five years from now, who are the people that you would surround yourself with? And so I've been very intentional about that. Every year or every six months, you should go back and reevaluate who's your list. I've got on my wall a list of the 50 people that are most important for me. And as I said, on, on my, my um, daily action planner each day, write down the name of a different person who I'm going to reach out to. I'm going to do something to edify them or fulfill their, you know, you know, do something good for them. Um, and so, um, what have I done to, to, you know, first it takes, I think the first step is to really think about what the long-term goal is. Second step is to put together a list of the people who you'd like to build or nurture a relationship with. And then the third step is to find ways in order to continue to develop those relationships. Um, I'm a huge advocate of having something like a podcast, which you can use in order to establish those relationships in the first place. Some of the best relationships that I have um, came from doing a podcast interview originally. And we mentioned some of them here, Noah Kagan, Pat Flynn, you know, people, people like that, who I interviewed on my podcast originally, and then eventually became friends. Um, and then, uh, you know, like you mentioned the, the dinner that I had a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, when you can going to events, going out to conferences and putting together your own events, you know, sometimes, I mean, I went to this conference in San Diego, it was like 1200, 1300 people, which is a huge number of people, but I proactively ahead of time decided I'm going to put together a little dinner 
And you don't need to be the most connected person in the world to do this because they're not coming just for you. If you put it together right, you bring together a group of people, um, they will come for the group. So you start inviting a couple of different people and pretty soon they're like, wow, look at all these other people who are coming and they're excited about it. Yeah, there's so something that, about being a host. I mean, even yeah. this is a, one of those tips that even if you're an introvert, this could be a great use of your time because convening people and being a host allows you to have those smaller group connections, build those relationships. And you're right, like you're not, the pressure's not on you. Like once okay. you bring people together, they're they're excited to be in that space and and you then get the benefit of being recognized as the connector without right. having to necessarily know every detail of everybody at the table giving them a space to, to find those opportunities among them. So it's right. connecting that to a conference is really smart. I mean, I've had other people talk about when traveling for work, you know, maybe convening former colleagues or friends from college, but to really proactively, if you're going to be going to a big event, how can you use that space? Like I went to an event recently uh, for, for speakers, National Speaking Association, and someone had a gathering of authors that she mm -hmm. worked with. So that was like, I was then invited to come to that, which was a great sort of subset. And you're yeah. like, it's much easier than to connect around shared interests and shared values because you're not necessarily trying to talk to 1300 people all at once. You're trying to find your people, which is always the next piece. I, I know we're, we're running a little short on time. So I just want to, uh, I'm going to have everyone go to your site afterwards. I'm going to give you a chance to share about your website, podcast, et cetera, again, just so that you have so, so many resources that we could not possibly list them all. Email, templates, you know, just a lot, a lot of the help people get started uh, doing a lot of these things that you've been practicing for a very long time. I did wonder, at what point did you start doing this conversation list? I don't know when I started doing it. Um, I think I did it more informally before I started really thinking about, uh, you know, started sharing the advice for it. It's been at least three or four years that I've been talking about it. And there are others out there who have similar ideas, similar, you know, frameworks, um, who talk about it in slightly different ways. I don't care. I just care that you do it. <laughs> I care that you spend 15, 20 minutes. It doesn't need to take that much time. 15, 20 minutes after this podcast is over, sit down, whether it's with a spreadsheet, a piece of paper, whatever, write out a list of the, you know, 40, 50 people who you would like to build or nurture a relationship with over the course of the next 12 months. And what that does is it gives you a roadmap of the people who you should be focusing your energy on. When you do that, other opportunities will flow from it. You know, I mean, it, it could be more clients. It could be, you know, business strategic partnerships. It could be completely new businesses. You never know. Um, but when you're deliberate and intentional about that, it starts to those little actions that you take on a regular basis throughout the year add up to some major achievements, some major changes in your business, in your career. So I highly recommend doing that. So, John, if you had the opportunity to speak to your younger self when you're 25 years old, what is the one thing you'd encourage yourself to do to build a strong, supportive professional network? Um. Well, I've been through a lot of different careers in my career, <laughs> or a lot of different industries in my career. Um, so I, I think, yeah, but I think that's valuable. I think it's valuable going through those. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't uh, say that I shouldn't have done any particular one of those. Even going to law school, even though I'm not actively practice, practicing law right now, going to law school taught me that I can learn anything, uh, that I can figure out the world. It's, you don't need to have all the answers. You just need to know that you can figure it out. And that was a great lesson to, you know, from law school. Um, I think the lesson that I would give my 25 year old self is to, to be pro more proactive about, uh, you know, reaching out and building those relationships with those people who inspire you, even if you feel like you have no worth in their eyes. Right. Um, you know, the, the authors that you admire, the speakers that you admire, podcasters, bloggers, whatever, you know, politicians, athletes, actors, um, it's always going to be harder, the higher up the chain you go, you know, if you're trying to connect with Oprah Winfrey or Richard Branson, it's going to be challenging, but lower down the chain, you know, there's some amazing opportunities that are available to us now. We've got social media that wasn't around 10, 12 years ago, and you can use that. You can exchange messages with, right. you know, musicians or, you know, thought leaders that you admire. It's incredible. You know, um, there's a story in Dory Clark's book that you're also featured in 
uh, about uh, how I, I looked up to Dan Pink, the author of Drive and To Sell as Human, and I, you know, reach out to him to do an interview. Ended up interviewing, interviewing him like we are right now over Skype, over video Skype. And then I ended up uh, like a, couple, a month later or something like that. I went to his book signing in San Francisco. He was out from Washington, D.C. for this book signing. And I go up to him. There's a person standing in front of me in this long line of people. person steps aside. And I reach out to, to stick out my hand to introduce myself. And Dan says, oh, hi, John. Because he recognized me from that video Skype that I'd done. And that's phenomenal. That's incredible that you can have that sort of thing happen. And, and I've shown other people how to do the same thing, how to do interviews. Uh, I call them industry, loader, uh, industry leader profile strategy. When you take someone who you admire and you, pro, you give them basically a pedestal, so you profile them. It could be in a podcast, could be an article, could be a state of the industry report that your business puts out. You hold them up, and it's just a great way to build a connection with someone in a proactive way. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Is there a particular website that I could send folks to to learn more about you? Oh, great. Well, it was a pleasure, Robbie. So um, if you go to smartbusinessrevolution.com, that's my main home on the web, and you can download some free email templates for doing exactly the stuff that I talk about, reaching out to those influencers, those VIPs that are in your local community or some internationally best-selling author that you admire. There's no excuse. All you need to do is copy and paste, stick it in your email template, uh, in your email provider, modify it as you see fit and shoot off an email. You never know what might come from it. I also run Rise 25's uh, Inner Circle. So if you go to rise25.com, you can learn all about that and the, uh, the retreats that I, uh, the annual accountability and group coaching program that I run uh, with my business partner, Jeremy Wise. So thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with John Corcoran. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the key takeaways for me was how many tips and resources John was prepared to share. We really could have spent hours talking and he wouldn't have run out of suggestions. Sharing so many resources has definitely helped John build his professional network, leave his job as a lawyer, and succeed in his business. You can do this too. Start small and create a top five favorites list. This could be your favorite productivity tools, favorite podcasts, favorite leadership books, or anything else that you found really helpful. Then share that list in your LinkedIn profile introduction. That would make you stand out whenever someone was reading your profile, whether it's after meeting you or perhaps in preparation for meeting with you. Remember what John said, you can connect with people just like he does. One of the tools that helps him stay focused is his conversation list. To get started, get really clear about your long-term goal. Are you climbing the corporate ladder, ready to make a career change, or considering running for office one day? Whatever it is, write it down in just a few sentences. And next, brainstorm a list of 50 people you know or would like to know. These are the people you will focus on connecting with over the next year. These people should all help you in some way meet your long-term goal. Another way to look at this is to consider where you want your business or career to be in three to five years. Who are the people you want to be surrounding yourself with? Those are the relationships you want to nurture now. The last step is to get creative about how to develop and deepen these connections. John tracks his progress using a daily planner he designed for himself. Every day, he focuses on one name from this list. Does 50 people seem overwhelming to you? The number can be 20 and the outreach can be weekly. The point is you can't do what you've always done and expect different results. You need to do something different. Put energy into the long-term goals you have and believe in the power of your network. Set a timer for 15 minutes right after this podcast ends and get this process started. Let me know how it goes by commenting on the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, episode 33. One of the ways you can deepen your connection with colleagues and leaders in your field is to follow John's example and host a dinner when attending a conference. This is a great tip for anyone who has been attending the sim event for a few years and understands the value of being a host and a convener. 
plan for a max of 10 people to make it manageable. Consider asking two or three guests to confirm before even leaving for the conference. This will give you more confidence when inviting others you connect with at the event. Once everyone's arrived for dinner, offer a few minutes to each guest and share an introduction. Include a question related to the event, such as, what inspiration are you looking for this year? Or, what was one of your takeaways so far? This will likely lead to some really interesting conversation and connections between guests, and you will be appreciated as a person who made all this happen. To keep track of who I've met at various conferences, I use a combination of LinkedIn tags and Gmail labels. That's a pretty good way to quickly identify people I plan to invite, but I've found that the volume of people I know needed a better system to be sure I was doing the follow-up and relationship building I was intending to do year-round. That's why I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 33. Well, We've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode. Thank you for listening to On The Schmooze. If you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com where you'll find On The Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be sharing my thoughts on a new definition of networking. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.